Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Please don't go. I need you so I... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Feminist Hot Dog, the news, humor, and cultural survival podcast by, for, and about women and people of all genders who experience sexism. Those of you who listen on a regular basis know that I talk periodically about Sonia Renee Taylor and her book, The Body is Not an Apology. And if you haven't read it, you should, and you should also follow her on social media. And one of the ways that Sonia Renee Taylor has changed my thinking is that I find myself seeking out and following people um, on Instagram in particular who are really committed to talking about their bodies in honest ways and celebrating their bodies and being at peace with their bodies or at least striving to be at peace with their bodies. And that is how I came to be a follower and a fan of today's guest, Clara Holmes. Clara lives in London. She's a model, and she also runs a fashion and lifestyle blog called Roland Funky. And the reason her blog is called Roland Funky is that Clara is a full-time wheelchair user. Roland Funky takes readers everywhere with Clara, from cooking vegan food at home to vacationing in exotic and beautiful locations, to being out on the town and fabulous in a different super cute outfit every day. And I'm so happy she could join me. My first international guest on Feminist Hot Dog, Clara, welcome to the show. Hi, darling. Thank you for having me. Of course. So first of all, your photos are gorgeous. Um, I don't know who takes your photos, but I'm um, whoever it is, they really know how to capture you. Um, they do a great job. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> um, and... I'd l- I want to get into sort of how you um, became a model and an influencer, but I want to get a little bit of backstory too, before we get to the role and funky years and just ask you to tell us uh, about yourself, just kind of where you came from, who you are, what's the cocktail party version of your life story? Um, I, well, I'm born and bred in London. Um, and I became a wheelchair user in my mid-20s, I was about 25 at the time. Um, but before then, I was very quite a self-conscious kind of person. I was very tomboyish and very, actually totally different to who I am today. Um, but I wasn't very, I wasn't really a happy person in myself. And um, when I became a wheelchair user at 25, I was just like, oh my goodness, it's like, I'm really I'm already not feeling great. This is like my um almost like my worst nightmare. That's how I thought in a way. Um and then over years I kind of got used to it and um yeah and a new life was born. I call this my like my second life because like the first life as an able-bodied user I wasn't very happy. I wasn't very conscious um confident in myself. Um but this second life, I am, you know, the happiest I could be, and I'm got more, a lot more confidence than I ever had, ever. We'll talk a little bit more later about what that transformation looked like and mm. kind of how you got there, because I, I think that's something a lot of people um, who have confidence issues would want want some advice on, um, including me. But I. I do want to hear more about what made you decide to start a blog um, and how, what was the origin story and what have been some of the highlights for you since you began communicating through that platform? Um, the reason I became a blogger was because I, when I came up and started living my second life, so to speak, um, I was more out and about. I started kind of just living in my own truth. Um, it sounds weird, and I hate those phrase "woke," so I'm not mm-hmm. going to. So I'm not going to use it because it kind of entails that you're kind of sleeping beforehand. But um, I, 
I would be out and about and I'd be like, you know what? I like those shoes. I'm going to start wearing them. Um, I used to moan about this before, so I'm just going to embrace this now. And in doing so, my, um, I would just be more confident and just go out and about, do things, partying, traveling. I started traveling again. I started doing things, some things like travel that I used to do before, but then kind of paused for a few years um, while I kind of got my head around who I am now. Um, but you know, since I started doing that again and just kind of living life and people be like, oh my goodness, you're amazing. Like my sister is, or my mother or my brother or, you know, somebody that they knew was a wheelchair user and um, like they don't, they hardly even get dressed or they don't really go out. They don't want to go out. They want to socialise. They're, they're struggling and like to see you, they think that they can't go out. They think they can't go to a nightclub or, um, you know, they can't go to a concert or, whatever it may be and just seeing you here is kind of you know it makes me think oh my goodness like they could do these things as well and they're sat at home thinking they can't but they totally can because you know you're here and you're having an amazing time you're enjoying yourself and it's so nice to see do you have a blog no you or do you blog no and it was just a, a, a reoccurring question that I kept getting asked while out and about and um <laughs> some of my able-bodied uh friends at the time we were like oh Clara you are so wild <laughs> like you're the wildest wheelchair user I I know and is it was kind of like an eye-opener for them because at that point I was just like I'm just gonna live my true life and just embrace everything and just go with the flow so I started um, calling myself Rolling Funky. I'm rolling in funky. <laughs> and um, it was like a turn of phrase. It was like, yeah, you know, like the phrase turn up. It was kind of like that. And mm-hmm. um, so it was just like, yeah, I'm rolling in funky. Everyone knew that it was like time that, oh, my goodness, club is going to about to get wild. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, and then I, I decided, like, I was kind of, I mean, an arguing about um, starting a blog. And then um, while on holiday, I made a decision to start a blog. Um, initially, I did tell my boyfriend and he was a little bit, mm, you know, you know, it's, you know, got so many trolls out there or some whole people, do you sure you want to do that and put yourself out there? And at first I was kind of like, I totally understood where it's coming from and I was like, oh, yeah, maybe you're right. But when I was on holiday um, and as I watched the sunset in um, Dominica, I made my decision. I was that at that point, I was like, right, I'm going to do it. And yeah, I came back from my holiday and I started to put the wheels in motion and Rolling Funky was born, so to speak. I love an origin story that involves the sunset. That's fantastic. <laughs> no, it's truly like I actually I can remember this like this day like it was yesterday. It's, it sounds like it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you have Ehlers Danlos syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not 100 sure I'm pronouncing that correct. But, uh, it's a correctly. bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. Uh, so for but we'll just call it EDS because yeah. that's a little easier. So for our listeners who may be unfamiliar, what are some of the symptoms of EDS and how does it affect you? So it is a connective tissue disorder. And there, there's a huge spectrum because you have nine being the worst with one being like the less um, in severity of the um, condition. Um, I'm a nine and my joints dislocate really easily. Now, mm. I know people want to say, oh, do physio or do this or do that. It's every single joint in my body. <laughs> it's genetically how I'm made like my bones do basically they do more they don't have that stop point where most people's will stop um minds would keep going and it, and therefore it dislocates really really easy but it doesn't just affect your bones it also um and your 
your joints and your collagen, and etc. It also affects your skin, your organs, and then there's also um, 13 other um, like conditions that come off um, Ehlers Danlos or EDS. Um, EDS. So basically, it's like an umbrella, and then there's 13 like different conditions that stems from that as well. But it's it's one that it is genetic. I inherited it, and if I have children, um, they have a 50-50 chance that they might inherit the condition. So it's very much something you have to learn to live with. I wasn't, as I said, I wasn't always a wheelchair user, but I did have um, certain issues with my back and lower uh, lower joints, like my knees, my ankles, my pelvis, in particular. Um, and my my main area of pain and dislocation is my hips. So mm. I, I can no longer stand, bear any weight, walk at all. Um, I could just dislocate, just yawning. <laughs> like mm. it's just it's 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 like that. Um, it's a very painful condition because you're always in pain, and then the, and it's also you, the more you do, the more pain you're in as well. And then you become you're also lethargic. There's yeah, you know, just yeah, it, it's a lot. But you have to manage it, um, and people manage it in different ways. And I, I choose to manage it um, via diet, and diet and exercise, believe it or not, and um, pace myself. I don't take any drugs. A lot of people do. I don't. I don't particularly want to because there are lots of side effects. Well, and I notice on your blog and on your Instagram that you, you know, you put your disability, you're really clear that you have a disability, um, mm -hmm. but you're also really clear that you are not a disabled woman, you are a woman with a disability and that that yeah. distinction comes through in your content. I mean, you do post about how it might take you longer to recover from trips or if you are having a day that's particularly painful. Mm -hmm. And then there are other times when you're giving us vacation like beach photos and shoes and lingerie shoots and like yes the wheelchair is there but it's really more about the experience that you're having in that mm -hmm. moment mm -hmm. um so can you talk about how you decide what photos and stories to share and what guides you as a creator um first and foremost thank you thank you so much that kind of recognizing that um that it's about me first and then the disability last because um, that's kind of good because that was kind of my aim. Um, for me, in terms of what to share, I think it was just about being as honest as possible. Um, and don't get me wrong, there are things that I keep private and that are private. Um, like my boyfriend's name, for example, I just never won. I ne I've never published my boyfriend's name, I think. Um, he doesn't really into the whole Instagram thing, so therefore we keep that separate and we keep that private. I always refer to him as Bay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it it's been it's been a journey. It has been a journey, and um, in that time, I think the more I got kind of comfortable with my followers, my followers got comfortable. Um, to me, they they don't want to just know. Okay, she's going on about her condition again. Like I want people to see like another side. I want them to see hope. I want them to see that you can still live your best life, um, and regardless whether you're in a wheelchair or you use a Zimmer frame or you use crutches or whatever it may be, whether you have a prosthetic leg or arm, it it may add to your character, but that it, but it isn't your character. It isn't who you are, and that's that's kind of the message that I want to send across. I want um, younger people um, to look up and say, "Oh, wow! You know, I could just live a I could live a fulfilling life just like Clara does." 
and I want people who um, become disabled uh, or wheelchair users uh, in later life to think, well, you know, if Clara can do that and she too became a wheelchair user later in life, um, you know, I there's hope for me. And that was always that was always the plan. Just to be honest, I'm not just um, like creating photos of fashion and then I'm never wearing them or you'll never see me looking. I get recognised by people on the street because I look exactly how I look on my Instagram. <laughs> They're like, oh my goodness, I recognise you. I like, oh, you do? <laughs> You know, you look at you look exactly how I think you would look. Whereas I've seen people that are not on their, you know, on a day where they're taking their Instagram photos and they don't look nothing like them on mm-hmm. They don't dress like that. They don't. It's purely for the graph. Even the makeup artists, they don't wear makeup like that. It's a way of them expressing themselves um, creatively online. And showing other people that they could do the same, but nobody, they don't really wander around being who they are on Instagram. What you find with me on my Instagram is I am what I like to go out, I like to have a drink, I like to dance, I like to party, um, I like to wear my shoes. <laughs> I've got a crazy shoe collection. Your shoes are really on point, I have to say. I love it that some of your pictures are just of shoes. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> they they get their own day. <laughs> they do. Yeah, they do. And again, I've just just shown people that you know, fashion is for all. It has nothing to do with whether you're walking or not. So you've spoken in some of your videos about having gone through, and you mentioned earlier in the interview, kind of having gone through a transformation, not just in terms of going from being a walking person to mm. uh, being a full time wheelchair user. Yeah but also a transformation in your competence as well. So can you tell us a little bit more about that journey and <laughs> what what was it that changed for you and how um, how did you find yourself emerging in the second life that you've talked about? Some people may not appreciate what I'm about to say, but I was about to turn 30 and I realized that the first half of my 20s I was very self-conscious. I wasn't overly happy, but I had travelled. I had done things that I can say, yeah, at least I've done things. I've done things I wanted to do um, at that time, and I have no regrets about it. But I was very self-conscious, and I just I didn't I didn't have much self-love. and then, then my latter t- years of my 20s, um, I was a wheelchair user and it was even worse. And I was like, I can't do this. But they say that we're all living longer these days. And I could, you know, I could be living till I'm 50, 60, 70, 18, 90 years old. Do I want to live life in this mental state? The answer was no. I was depressed at the time. I tried to take my own life and but I realized I wanted to live but I didn't want to live like this I couldn't do it anymore and something had to change I started to put things in place for a better future so one of the things that I planned to do was get a power chair so that I can have more freedom and more independence so I got an electric power chair um I raised money for that and got the chair and that was like wow it was amazing but another thing that um was amazing for me in my transformation was Nicki Minaj Nicki Minaj um Pink Friday album there is two songs in particular and I used to listen to every day and one of them was called I'm the best um and I'm not just singing along to it. I'm actually like, no, it's it's number one on the album. Um, so you've got all the other hits, but this is like an album track. You know, if you've got the album, you know the song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was it was that song. I'm the best 
just keep singing. I'm the best. And I'm like, I am. I am. I that every day and started saying it in the mirror and shouting it at myself that I started to believe that I am. And I am worth more than the, than the life that I'm currently having. I could do more. I could do more to make it positive. And another song was um, Moment for Life. And it says, to live doesn't mean you're alive. That line in that mm-hmm. song. And I was like, yeah. I that I want that feeling of being that feeling of alive, you know. I'm living, but I want to feel alive. Um so yeah, I put the things in motion. I um I moved out from my boyfriend's house. Uh, we, we, we shared a flat at the time. I moved out um in 2011. So I was like coming up to being 31 at the time. And um, I moved in on my own. I made sure I got all the renovations done that I need to make it totally accessible and to get my freedom. I wanted to make sure that I was with him because I wanted to be, not because I felt like I had to be. And um, with that, my confidence grew. I've got my power to it. I've got my home that is totally accessible. I'm good. This is a great start. That's an amazing story. And I love that, uh, that Nicki Minaj is part of it. That's unexpected, but also beautiful because I mean, what a testimony to the way that art can Mm. change people's lives. Mm. Yeah. I would love to meet her one day or just so that I can say that. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm not sure that Nicki Minaj listens to Feminist Hot Dog, but well, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> we should definitely, definitely try. Yeah. Um, so let's see. My The show is about feminism, obviously, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm interested to know what your relationship is to that word and to that idea. Do you personally consider yourself a feminist? Um, yeah, I do. I think more so in the past, like, three, four years. Um, I definitely think I've kind of not only become comfortable enough for me to say out loud, but also in the past two years or so, um, found the power in the words as well. I think... Mm -hmm. um, I think I've always been a slight... I think I grew up being a slightly... A, a feminist but I didn't know what that meant at the time I think um there were certain things that my grandma used to say and uh, I was just like my mum would be like oh goodness like there's no way like oh a woman's place is doing this and a woman's place is doing that and my mum used to be horrified at that so I think that kind of helped um with certain views that I believed about a woman and what a woman can do. And I saw my mum do it all. Um, so, yeah, I think in a way, I think my mum helped me um, be the feminist, you know, strong person that I am today. Um, just through her beliefs. And I think I've probably taken the baton and run with it a little bit more further than she has done. And how do you uh, think that your feelings about, I mean, not only being a woman, but being a black woman with a disability influence your personal feminism? Um, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I'm not going to lie. It's, you, I've always been fiercely independent and my mom always told me that a woman shouldn't have to rely on a man and they should be independent and strong because we are just as equal and can do just as much as they can. Um, So with that, and then having to kind of got used to being my new life as a person with a disability, it was, it was tough. It was hard. Um, And then being black as well. Yeah. But we, we also have that kind of being black. I think a black being a black woman 
you have that strength um, to dig deep. You, you're able to mm. dig deep in like in situations. And um, I actually found the hardest thing about being a black woman with a disability, um, unfortunately, came from my own community just through lack of acceptance. Um, but me showing them, look, life doesn't end here. I don't need someone to look after me. I can look after myself. I can, you know, I'm still me. I'm still could do things. I've, yes, I've evolved. Of course, when I've evolved, I can't be the same person I was then. It weren't healthy and it wasn't nice. But I think my rights as a woman and what they are have probably come to the forefront more um, over the past couple of years because I do have a disability. And I think with that, I think I'm kind of battling all corners, rights for women, rights for, uh, you know, a woman with a disability and a white girl and being black. It's, it is quite strange. And I'm so glad that, that it is. It's a lot of the people that follow me, I think it's something like, 72% of my followers, they're all female. So they're really, really supportive. And I, I find that great. Um, that majority of the, my followers are female. Because it, I'm, that's who I'm appealing to. I'm not appealing, I'm not trying to catch men's attention. I have a man. It's not about trying to um, be, um, um, you know, something, some form of thing for a man. For men, it's it's yeah. not about that. It's about how we feel, at, you know, for ourselves in ourselves. It's not it's certainly not. Um, I'm not here for men's entertainment. Whether you know, whether you're gay, straight, bi, I'm not here for your entertainment. I'm here to kind of promote and send a message that we are more um, than our ability, and that we should love ourselves regardless. That's that's my message. And is there anything else about you or your life that you'd like to tell us or any other projects that you're working on right now? Um, you know, always kind of doing shoot, you know, whether it's modeling or doing, um, working on blogs for Instagram. I mean, I'm hoping to, you know, I'd, I'd love to be cast as a model for, um, London Fashion Week. So kind of, that's my target at the moment is September's coming up and I would like to be um, involved in other fashion week. that would be a dream that would be amazing to go down the catwalk as a woman with, with uh, a in a wheelchair that would be absolutely amazing and it would um, kind of just show how far we've come in this sense it's, it's quite tough the fashion industry um and although I've had, you know, modeling jobs, you know, I've had modeling jobs, um, they, there's still a kind of perceived idea of what beauty looks like in the industry, especially when it comes to women. It, they should be a certain size, certain color, certain height, um, certain ability, you know, basically you don't really want wheelchair users. And some of them are just and I just find some of them are just really kind of negative and it's like this old man's club thinking, um, kind of portraying their thoughts on how women, you know, should look like and kind of fit in with their ideal. And I'm here to kind of break down that barrier. <laughs> that doesn't, it doesn't work like that. We should be able to be who we are. You know, we have, we're in the era of social media where... Um, and I think in this era, we have a responsibility to the younger ones to show um, that self-love is important and embracing who you are is important. And I think, you know, like pages like mine that show that you can still love yourself and still, you know, be your true self and live life to the fullest, regardless of the fact that you are a wheelchair user. I think that's important. I think it's important for the parents of these kids to also see that um, there's dreams that they may have and it can be accomplished. There is hope out there. 
Thank you so much for saying that. And so how can we, how can the listeners find you and follow you? So, um, yeah, you can follow me on Rolling Funky um, on the Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's Roll In, so there's no G, just Roll and In and Funky. Um, and my blog, Rolling Funky blog and rollingfunky.com, which you can also, um, if you go to rollingfunky.com, you can also click the page where it says blog and it will take you to the blog as well. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Y'all follow along. We are going to talk about what made our feminist hearts sing recently. And uh, I'm going to go first, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So tonight uh, is the season finale of Pose here in the United States. I actually am not a big TV watcher myself. Uh, I just have a very short attention span, basically. But Pose mm-hmm. has really become my favorite recent show. It focuses on, um, it's kind of my favorite genre of show because it focuses on a group of people who are outside the mainstream and the whole premise of the show focuses on these very highly creative performances and there are lots of beautiful costumes and production, et cetera. So it's really fun. Um, and it's also about black and brown, gay and trans folks. So it's very much also about a community that is committed to finding joy within itself and celebrating their identities. Oh, wow. um, I'll go because, <laughs> oh yes, you'll love it. Um, because their identities are so marginalized from cisgender heteronormative society so um all of the storylines revolve around ballroom the ballroom culture and community in new york city in the late 1980s and early 90s um which incidentally corresponded with the release of madonna's single and video vogue which they reference a lot in the show Mm -hmm. so that was kind of when um some ballroom some elements of ballroom culture made it into the mainstream and this sort of tells the story surrounding um surrounding that before um Mm -hmm. before that and during that time so a couple of things to note about pose um it's the largest cast of transgender people ever assembled um, on a tv show and it was kind of a sleeper in season one, I think, um, but people have really embraced it. And mm-hmm. particularly in season two, it's been nominated for a number of um, pretty high profile awards, although um, not enough, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, it's it's a bit of a soap opera. There's lots of drama. Um, there's lots of like surprise twists, and betrayals and battles and um, storylines that will break your heart, but it's also really heartwarming, Mm -hmm. um, and funny. It'll make you laugh week after week. Um, so it's really not afraid to kind of do the most in terms of the storylines. Um, but they're also not afraid to be really serious as well. And to, and to really look at the issues that are kind of fundamentally important to the community that they're portraying. So, um, it takes on the AIDS crisis in a way that I really appreciate. It's very, very real um, and very compassionate. And they're not just referencing it, but I think they're also helping uh, a younger generation of viewers mm. who didn't live through it to better understand how devastating it was and how long it lasted. Mm-hmm. And also the indifference that, um, you know, by leadership that most the most affected communities had to endure. Mm -hmm. So um, I almost feel like I want to start a pose podcast to say everything that I have to say about that show, because it, it makes my feminist heart sing every single week. Um, So if season one is on Netflix, so if you're not watching it, um, you can watch season one on Netflix right now. And hopefully season two eventually will be as well. Um, So check it out and Bring a box of tissues because it will definitely, oh. <laughs> it, it'll, it'll get you. Um, it's one of those. <laughs> it's, it's one of those. It, it really, 
it really is because you'll just fall in love with the characters and um mm. and their lives are are very complicated and, and often very sad but often really triumphant too so yeah. it's um it's an amazing show and everyone should watch it okay it sounds like a very good portrayal of life because that's life right so that's right yeah that's right it, it is life and it's it's a portrayal of life that I think a lot of people have not been exposed to before. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's uh, not only is it great, but it's important. Pose. I'll, I'll definitely look check that out. <laughs> yeah, and then let me know if you like it. Yeah, and you. let me know if you want to be on my Pose podcast to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it. yeah, we can go in. <laughs> uh, so, how about you? What has made your feminist heart sing lately? Um. So a few weeks ago, I was on a fashion roundtable at the Houses of Parliament, and it was about um, how we can make the fashion industry more um, representative. And she has a um, a site called iWay, and it's very um, you know, activism based, and it's and that, so she had um, people there that also represented there. And just having a conversation with her, um, it really kind of opened my eyes that little bit more and just made me so excited to be able to be in a room with um, somebody with such foresight and such passion about women's rights. Like, it just made my blood tingle with with, insight, with excitement. Just listening to her speak, it was just amazing. And I think that was definitely a moment that kind of made my heart, my feminist heart sing. Um, just hearing the passion she had with um, every word she spoke about the way women are being portrayed, women's rights. I haven't heard someone speak so passionately um, like the the way she did in a long time. So that definitely kind of made my heart, my feminist heart sing. It's interesting that you bring her up because I just started following her within the last few months myself. Um, and I had no idea who she was before, but um, I totally get what you mean. I mean, she's, she's just really, she's here to tell the truth about yeah. what every you know, what she thinks and what she sees. Um, and it sounds like she's been through a lot personally mm. in, in terms of her own kind of recognition of uh, society standards and, that's that's amazing that you got to actually have a conversation with her. How cool! Yeah, I've like um, it was it was a powerhouse of people around this table. Most of them, funny enough, were women. But uh, but we you know we all want to bring around bring a change to like media and fashion. And so yeah, we're kind of going through this white paper. Um, hopefully it will be taken on by an MP and, um, you know, the aim is it for it to be, become law, you know, about, and, you know, have true representation, you know, regardless of your sexuality or disability or colour in the fashion industry. And I think it's important on all levels, not just, I'm not just talking about, the, the front shop face, as in the model, but even the people behind the scenes, the photographers, the directors, the designers, the you know the, the CEOs, the MDs. I think it's important for it to have a systematic change from the top go right down, and then obviously marketing, shop front, the whole thing. It needs an overhaul, and to be part of something that is, you know, basically. Bringing hopefully bring a change and for the next generation, you know what better way to do that than make you know able to pass something that could potentially be law, and you know if if one country does it, who knows it can it can set a ripple effect around the world. So it's it's pretty big and it's pretty important thing. So that's one of the things that I'm working on. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's definitely made my feminist heart sing because it's. I think um, up until then I was like, 
I think I'm a feminist. I have feminist views, but I, I, I think being involved in this, it kind of made me realise I'm definitely 100 <laughs> All right, Clara, for the Dear Feminist Hot Dog segment, I ask my guests questions that I want to know the answers to that they have some expertise in. So um, for you today, dear feminist hot dog, Clara, mm-hmm. what is the most effective way you have found to help our friends and fellow femmes feel more confident and to support them in their self-love journeys? I have so many people in my life mm-hmm. who are just fabulous, exactly as they are, mm-hmm. yet they feel insecure about some aspect of their lives or their personalities, their identities, or probably most common of all is their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't think that pep talks and telling them over and over how great they are is really very effective. So as someone who has taken this journey yourself, what do you think? Is there anything another person can do from the outside to positively influence someone who is struggling with confidence issues without just lecturing them all the time? What do you think? Um, one of the techniques that I found um, in terms of raising my confidence and self-love was I had to accept me. That's difficult. And you're thinking, oh, that's easy. It's actually quite difficult. Um, so as you said, like for years I've had people say, Oh, you know, you're this, you're gorgeous, you're blah, 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 you're lovely, you're beautiful. And I'm like, I don't feel it, I never felt it. Um, and I think sometimes the person that we look for someone to say that to us, for me it was my family, my immediate family, not my my aunt, my aunt would always say, oh, you're gorgeous, you're, you're lovely, I don't know what's wrong with you. When it's coming from a loved one, we kind of take it on a little bit more than we would do from a stranger. So one of the things that I um, realised is why would that person say something like that? Why would they have, you're okay, oh, you're pretty, but, you know, forget the buts. Um if someone says a negative comment, you also have to think, well, what kind of space are they in for them to warrant putting you down? Because a lot of the self-doubt, we, it does come from outside sources. The way you speak to yourself, if you're constantly down saying negative comments about yourself to yourself, that internal conversation, if you are continually doing that, eventually you're going to start believing that. And that's what you see when you look in the mirror. So I would say kind of practice um, saying good things to yourself. You look nice today. Oh, your nose look nice. Oh, your ears look nice. You know, give some form of body part a, com- a compliment. Um and then focus on those things, and like slowly every day, you'll you'll te- you'll soon tend to find something that um, you like about every part of your body. Um, be grateful that you have the body that you have. Um, I always hated my long legs, and now my long legs can't carry me. So, be grateful for you know what you have. And how it works, because you know life can change, and it could change in a blink of an eye. Um, but most importantly, accept accept who you are. Um, the more you begin to accept um, who you are, what you are, what you look like, the more comfortable you will be within yourself. And at that point your confidence will start to grow. It's definitely some, it's a technique that I've, I've done over the years um, by accepting, you know, my body has changed as a wheelchair user. I am now bigger than I was. I'm a bigger size, just size than I was as a wheelchair user. By me accepting that and becoming comfortable with it, 
Um, and I'm like, okay, well, this is me. It's okay. Um, you know, it is what it is. Let's just embrace it and keep on moving. Is it going to stop me from living life to the fullest? No. Is it going to? Is it got an impair? Is it going to impair my happiness? No. At that point, you become confident because you're just like, well, this is me, warts and all. But I, I, you know, I think it kind of stems from there and it starts with that. So I think the most important thing that you can say is good things about yourself in that internal conversation. Have people around you that's going to help lift you. Um. Find a song that makes you feel empowered. I did. Nicki Minaj. It's the best. That was mine. Find a song. Sing it every day. Um, you know, look at yourself. Strip off your clothes and look at yourself in the mirror. From head to toe, look at everything. You'd be surprised if it's something that you didn't notice before. And, you know, even if it means it's just like, well, my ears are nice. Or my nose is nice, or oh, this is my belly button cute. Something, find something every day positive to say about yourself, um, about your body image. Um, that will help your mental psyche. It will lift your mood, um, and in turn, how we feel, how you feel about yourself, will also change. It's amazing how those the physical act of looking in the mirror and seeing words to yourself or singing words to yourself can really change your brain and the way that you think i mean that's i think people feel kind of silly doing it or they just think they're going to feel self-conscious or they Mm -hmm. don't want to but it's kind of amazing how it works um i've noticed that it it works in the way like when i think about like internalized biases that I hold. Mm -hmm. I found that it's effective for helping me um, change my biases toward other people too. Mm -hmm. Like if I change the message that I say to myself, um, when I notice myself having a reaction to someone in public, um, over time, those, those biases and those reactions are different. So it's, it's something that I probably wouldn't have believed if you'd said it five years ago, mm-hmm. but I, I a hundred percent know what you mean. And I think it's, uh, I, I think it's true. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. So let's move on and um, we're getting toward the end of the show. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear you tell us about who your chosen feminist is for the hot dog hall of fame. My chosen feminist is somebody that I've heard um, been spoken about um, in the homes when I was growing up. Um, It's Olive Elaine Morris. Um, Being a... um, I'm a black British person, but with Jamaican descent. So, and hearing this woman's name and just little discussions about her growing up is kind of always made me intrigued because this is the first feminist name that I I've I've ever heard anyone talk about and it was particularly important because the fact that she was from Jamaica she was from Jamaica she came to London when she was nine she lived in Brixton and she did a lot for black women in the UK and also done some stuff abroad. She also was part of the, um, became part of the Black Panther movement. Um, so, you know, she was very integral to certain things that was in the Black community around that time, growing up in the 70s, 70s 80s. So being the older, the oldest grandchild um, on both sides of my family with a lot of political unrest that was going on in London at the time within the black community. This was one of the names that um, I would hear people talking about. Um, You know, she started Brixton's Black Women's Group, which was a a political group, um, a feminist group, kind of like an empowerment movement for 
um, black women and raising awareness um, and kind of just like she was you know I, I've heard stuff growing up about this woman she was incredible she's so powerful she's fighting for our rights and um, you know she helped with squatters rights for you know because she squatted and it became a hub of um for political activism in the local Brixton community. Um, yeah, she was certainly like a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> and she was, she's kind of, I mean, I don't know if you know much about her or you've um, heard about her, but, you know, this is a woman who came from, as I said, she came from Jamaica when she was nine. Um, she left school, um, not really um, with any education, education or qualification but then yet went on to study at university um in manchester she helps with bursaries to set up a fund so that other women can go to university and study she's um you know she's an absolute powerhouse and also set up the um, women of african and asian descent organization she's absolutely amazing she's done so much for the black community in um london and yeah i think um i think she was my kind of my first acknowledgement of feminism within the black community because um as much as i always heard her name growing up and like the elders making comments and talking about her and what she's been doing what she's done and people keeping up to date with it I didn't quite understand and it was only like in my latter years um late teens 20s that I kind of understood more like, oh she's a she's a feminist oh wow that's amazing I thought it was so cool and um so yeah she's my She's my kind of feminist kind of hero, so to speak. And tell me her name again, because I had not heard of her before. Olive Morris. Olive Morris. She sounds incredible. Thank you so much for introducing us to her. No worries. Well, Clara, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I have learned a lot and I feel really inspired by you. I just appreciate everything that you're doing and um, can't wait to see where Roland Funky takes you next. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been absolutely amazing experience to kind of just sit here and kind of discuss all these things with you that um, really are uh, integral to who I am and I'm passionate about. So thank you very much for reaching out to me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And listeners, thank you so much for being here. Uh, You can find Feminist Hot Dog on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and support the show on Patreon. Our music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music. And our sound design is by Square Lightning. Thank you so much again for listening. Don't forget to download and rate the show. And as always, love yourself and love your buns. Goodbye. This has been a production of NOCO FM.